We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Niners and Eagles lost. We had tons of injuries that affected our fantasy outcomes and might affect the real NFL as well. Some survivor sweats, but no real losses. That and a whole lot more coming up next on the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Jeff Erickson. He's Nick Whalen. Uh, we are it's victory lid Monday again for our respective intrepid co-hosts if you're streaming along with us. Um, so happy that you could join us. Uh, for those who can't join us on the stream, Nick's wearing his Jaguars hat. I'm wearing my Bengals hat. Um, there are no undefeateds in the NFL. Uh, a little early this year, Nick, for that. Usually we kind of get someone to like week nine, week 10. No super teams this year. Yeah, I've spent most of the last like two or three weeks, Jeff, every time we talk about the Niners specifically saying like, man, this team is just so bulletproof. You know, they they can have one or two guys out, one or two of their stars not show up. And there's just so much depth on both sides of the ball that it's just impossible to imagine this team getting tripped up. Look, here we are in steps PJ Walker. They go on the road at Cleveland. The offense completely breaks down. Yeah, you know, we had injuries all over the place for the 49ers, but I think you could make the case that Cleveland was just as banged up in this game. I, I don't think injuries necessarily were the difference, uh, but ugly, ugly game out in Cleveland. The weather certainly played a factor. Brock Purdy you know, had some trouble hanging out of the ball. Uh, San Francisco, I think, in the second half was averaging uh, 11 plus yards per third down. I mean, they were having trouble just, just generating positive plays in general. For yeah. most of this game. So, yeah, not only San Francisco going down, Philly, of course, we'll dive into both of those games. Uh, very much looking forward to breaking down what was a, uh, I'm going to use the W word, Jeff, kind of a wacky Sunday slate. Yeah. I thought you were going to do for vict- for win or something like that. But yeah, it was weird, yeah. wild, wacky weekend here in the NFL. And yeah, as Scott Pianowski likes to say, they're they're all weird, but this was seemed especially weird. I agree. Uh, so let's just jump right into the slate. Let's start off with, Another stupid London game. Uh, I'm so tired of those, but hey, guess what? Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have Frankfurt in two weeks, and I'm looking forward to the, yeah. the, the, the the Frankfurt slate, but I'm not looking forward to the early wake-up calls. West Coast Grouch. Okay, moving on. Um, it was also not a game that re- rewarded you for waking up early either, this Baltimore-Tennessee game. It sure did not. No, as I uh, as I awoke on a couch of an Airbnb in Madison, Wisconsin at 830 a.m. to watch this game after spending the weekend 
uh, in my alma mater city, watching one of the saddest college football games of all time, Wisconsin going down to Iowa on Saturday. Uh, yeah, w- woke up in, in kind of a fog, like, where am I? Uh, had to flip on NFL Network, get the game fired up, and it was a field goal fest uh, out in London. I, I think, you know, kind of treating the, uh, the, the more soccer-focused fans to so something that they're used to, six made field goals uh, on the day for Justin Tucker, six of six, a long of 41, by the way. I mean, these were all, by Justin Tucker standards especially, these were basically just chip shots for him. Uh, frustrating day offensively for Baltimore. I mean, they, they controlled this game from start to finish. You know, this is really the second week in a row where it felt like the Ravens left like 10 to 14 points on the table. Um, but, you know, it, it was a game where Lamar Jackson looked like the best player on the field. You know, Ryan Tannehill really couldn't get anything going. He ends up exiting with an injury. It looks like this could be a multi-week injury, Jeff. So uh, might be the Malik Willis show. We might be on the verge of seeing Will Levis at some point this season. Um, you know, Tennessee now sitting at two and four Jacksonville winning for the third week in a row, Houston kind of looking like the second best team in the AFC South. I, I, I don't think the wheels are, are fully off for Tennessee at this point, but, um, you know, th- these next few games, like these are, these are high pressure situations. Suddenly, like you feel like you need to beat the Atlanta Falcons next week and they do have a buy, uh, coming up in week seven. So that helps, but, um, you know, at, sitting at two and four, I mean, Tennessee's kind of on the break right now. And we, we kind of felt like this might be the way that this season was heading for them from the jump. Yeah, you know, we floated the possibility of maybe them trading Tannehill. I know it would have been right. d- difficult to pull off given the contract status and given the fact that he really hasn't been lighting it up. The ankle injury takes that right off the table, though. Um, yeah. No one's really going to trade yeah. for him if he's damaged goods. Uh, so that kind of puts him in a spot. Malik Willis was a tough watch. Um, some scramble ability, but throw the ball. Just throw it somewhere, anywhere. Oh, my goodness, Nick. Uh, that sequence at the end, uh, uh, yeah, you don't want to throw an interception. I get that. The game speeds yeah. up. How bad does Will Levis have to be to be worse than Malik Willis? Because Malik Willis looked like the same guy as last year, just like afraid to pull the trigger, you know, to the point where, you know, the Titans ran it like 7,000 times when he started games last last season. Boy, uh, just a big mess. Malik Willis took four sacks in this game. He attempted five passes. So he was basically being sacked on like half of the time that he even dropped back. And, you know, part of that is credit to a Ravens defense that I don't think we talk about Baltimore as being, you know, one of the five to seven best defenses in the league. I think they have been that so far this season, despite some attrition, you know, in that secondary, especially. But this has been a a really, really good defense and it's picked up the offense in a lot of ways. I mean, certainly the defense played well enough last week against Pittsburgh that Baltimore should have won that game. You know, if you just make a couple of catches here and there, they're they're probably uh, sitting at five and one right now. But uh, yeah, I mean, Willis, I, I, I was kind of high on what he could be coming into last year, but he looked so green, you know, so you know, he looked years away from being ready last season. And yeah, it makes you wonder. It's like, where's Will Levis right now? If, if, if Malik Willis is comfortably the number two quarterback, I mean, we, we don't really have a firm timetable on Ryan Tannehill quite yet. Uh, you know, injured the ankle, stayed in. I, I think <laughs> kind of felt like he made it worse by staying in and then was, was seen on crutches after the game. But again, it is a week seven bye for Tennessee. So that does come at a good time, but if I'm a Titans fan, I'm bracing for Ryan Tannehill to probably miss some time after the bye. I know they have a Thursday night game coming up, so a short week. Uh, you know, could be could be seeing Malik Willis, could be seeing Will Levis at some point. But you mentioned it. I mean, even if this injury didn't happen for Tannehill, like what team, what team right now is signing up to bring him in? Like, even if you're the Jets, like are you are you that excited about bringing in Ryan Tannehill? Like, you know, Kirk Cousins is Kirk Cousins, but to me, he's on a, a much higher level uh, than Tannehill. And Cousins himself said he's not going anywhere. Yeah, exactly. And he's got a, a full no trade clause. So he he kind of controls that dialogue there, too. Uh, yeah, Tennessee tends to specialize in stockpiling green room leftovers. 
uh whether it's uh malik willis remember people are talking about willis as a top 10 overall pick at one point in time in last year's draft oh, yeah. levis we actually saw uh in the green room was quite the celebrity there um yeah it, 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 it's a mess there but uh we'll see uh they have a bye this week so does so does uh yeah they, they have a bye they're one of six teams in by apocalypse one uh We'll see what happens with this, but uh, with Tennessee coming out of the bye week, but you know, poor Tannehill goes to the wrong tunnel and then has to wait for a ride to get to the other tunnel. So he's quote unquote carted off. It sounds even worse. A uh, little, not quite yeah. Jamal Charles while, uh, carted off, but still yeah. had to get a, had to catch a ride there. Uh, yeah. Spears looked good in the in that one long screen pass. Uh, should yeah. I thought he was going to score? Um, that, w- that would have made things really interesting there, but mm-hmm. you know. Instead, uh, and I needed the cover there. I, I needed that score. I was like, come on. You know, a, an ideal situation here is score the touchdown, fail on yep. the two, get the cover, and we get out of there so the game's over with because I didn't want that to go to overtime. Get Had my pre-kickoff duties for everything else and all that. But, um, yeah, Henry actually looked good at times. They got hot, only one catch for Hopkins. Baltimore knew that there was no other mm-hmm. threat. Westbrook Akini dropped a touchdown pass on the first drive of the day. Uh, yep. This could have been a different game if he holds on to that. It wasn't a drop, but it was a not hold on play. Yeah, we saw a lot of that today. And, and whether uh, I think kind of across the United States played a, a role in that, certainly not in this game. But, yeah. uh, you know, we saw Kyle Phillips, you know, muffle punt that handed oh. Baltimore three points right before the half too. DeAndre Hopkins Brutal. wasn't having it. Wouldn't even sit next to him on the bench. Uh, that, that ended up being big. Uh, this this cover was very much in danger, by the way, at the end of the game. I mean, Tennessee, with about a minute 20 left, had a first and goal. Uh, they were down at the Baltimore 1 at one point, and there was an illegal block. I think it was on Tajay Spears, kind of a cut it block. Was. That backed them all the way up. I mean, they were on the verge of just punching that in. I, I don't know why you don't just run it with Derrick Henry in that situation. Then Malik Willis is sacked. All of a sudden, it's second and 20 uh, from the 20-yard line. And, you know, Tennessee, at that point, elects to kick a field goal on third down, you know, knowing it's a two-possession game. I think given the limitations at quarterback, like I understand it, you know, it was basically, uh, you know, Mike Vrabel saying like, we need a chance at some point with some time on the clock to, to get this onside kick. They of course mm-hmm. did not get that onside kick, but uh, yeah, for a moment there, it looked like Tennessee was, was absolutely going to cover this game because if they punch in that touchdown, they're going yeah. for two to make exactly. that a one point game. So not only, you know, not only were we looking at a push as kind of a, uh, you know, a best case scenario, if you're a Ravens better, but uh, you know, if, if Tennessee had scored, from the one yard line and got the two point conversion that would have made it a three point game. And of course this one closed at four. So I, I was sweating out the Ravens uh, in staff picks this week. We did not use them in circa. I could not quite talk John into it, but would not have been comfortable either way. A um, couple other fantasy notes here. I mean, not, not a great day through the air for Lamar Jackson. Um, you know, still just this, this offense just looks a little off. You know, they're not really getting any production from receivers, not named Mark Andrews and Zay flowers, you know, kind of another nothing day from, from Odell Beckham and Rashad Bateman. Nelson Aguilar continues to see you know wide receiver two snaps. That's not a good sign for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Derrick Henry for for limited usage. Uh, you know, twelve carries only in this game. Did get to ninety seven yards. Sixty three of those coming on one play. Had a touchdown. So a nice nice bounce back week for him. But uh, you, you do worry about some of the trickle down effects. Like he's already struggling, and you know if they're missing Ryan Tannehill for a few weeks here. That does not help Derrick Henry's case whatsoever. Nope, it does not. Uh, Bateman was the intended target on Lamar's one interception when he looked like he got a late reaction to the ball. It wasn't a good throw, but Bateman's no. effort was also not strong. Um, I, as uh, I, I may have mentioned this, I definitely mentioned on the Serious XM show. I don't think I mentioned on the podcast last week. I'm kind of done with Bateman. He he is a cut in most of my leagues. I have one league where I have a super deep roster, but otherwise, yeah, yeah. 
he played 34 of 71 snaps, you know, and yeah. it's just not, that's just not going to get it done. You know, if you're playing fewer snaps than Nelson Aguilar, who is proven to be a very bad player on multiple teams, you know, I, 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 I still like Bateman, the player, you know, we, we talked on the XM show at length about just how much I loved him coming out of school. Like, I mean, I, he was such a standout at mm -hmm. Minnesota that it, it's hard for me to believe that, that he's kind of turned into this player in the NFL, but uh, you know, he, he's going to be a reclamation project somewhere. I don't know if it's going to work out, but yeah, for, for season long leagues this year, I mean, I think unless you're in a really deep format, he's probably, he's easily droppable. Shouldn't even say probably he's droppable. Yeah, he is. Uh, so you may have to use him this week with buys and all that, but yeah. for the most part, yeah, it, it, you're going to, there's going to be some gnarly starts this week. Uh, <sighs> I kind of enjoy that, but except for when I'm on the, like on the short yeah. end of that stick there too. Let's move on. We spent enough time it's, on this. Yeah, way too, we, we do this every single week. We somehow spend way more time than we need to on like the ugliest game of the week. But we'll yeah, we'll exactly. go through the rest of these. The first one. Uh, okay, we alluded to Baltimore. Uh, I mean, not to Baltimore, to San Francisco, Cleveland. Let's get let's talk yeah. about that one. Um, I the flags. Uh, I mean, the refs flagged for a double double on this one here, or I guess it'd be a triple triple. Uh, over a hundred yards of penalty yards for each team yeah. in this game. Um, triple double. Uh, I guess that would be. Hey, I spit it out eventually. 24 penalty yards, 224. That is absurd. Yeah. And there were sure. some huge game deciding calls uh, yeah. on Cleveland's go ahead drive. They got the benefit of two calls that were marginal at best. Uh, one for sure was just out of this world. And it, it was a third down play too. I mean, it was, it was yeah. one that gave Cleveland a first down and, you know, the guy got hit right at the shoulder pad, right on the shoulder pads. It could have looked like yeah. the neck or because the head, the head snapped back on the play. I get it. It happens in real time, but yeah. that that's not reviewable. And I think it should be. Um, but there's a lot more in here. Here, I mean, the, let's talk the Niners mm -hmm. side of things. They lost Debo early. CMC in the second half tried to come back. Didn't 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 take. Uh, we got some worries for uh, this week coming up. And Trent Williams too in this game. Also got hurt, although I think he eventually mm -hmm. came back. But still, Cleveland, Cleveland's defense is nasty. Even with those players back, it would have been a tough a road to hoe for this uh, Niners offense. Yeah, I mean, San Francisco, after that first drive of the game, where they mar marched right down and did benefit from two penalties, and they were both legit. They weren't controversial mm -hmm. calls. But um, you know, had two, I think, 15-yarders that helped them. Um, you're thinking, all right, here we go again. San Francisco doing what they do against the backup quarterback. You know, Browns throw a pick on their first possession, and uh, that led to a missed field goal. For the Niners, which maybe was more of a harbinger of things to come in this game. But the second half, I mean, San Francisco did nothing offensively, nothing. You know, he had the interception for Brock Purdy. The one touchdown that they got came off of another pick, uh, set, set him up, you know, at like the six yard line, just a, an easy run in for, for Jordan Mason. But other than that, it was a lot of three and outs, you know, a couple four and outs, uh, obviously the missed field goal uh, at the end of the game, which I, I saw somebody did a, like, like a physics analysis of the ball and determined that the wind moved it almost three yards to the right in midair. Yep. Uh, so obviously a kick that you, know, you, you want to make uh, and you should make from 41 yards out, but the elements played a factor there. You know, we, we saw Brock at one point in this game, you know, drop back to throw ball just slips right out of his hands. Uh, yep. Not a player who has a ton of experience uh, in these types of situations. So I, I, I don't view this as like a, you know, kind of a, an indictment on Brock Purdy. Obviously it was far and away the worst game of his career. The injuries played a part in that. You mentioned Trent Williams. He came back into this game I didn't think look like himself, you know, was still limping after the game. I think they'll reevaluate him. There's a chance that he could end up uh, missing some time as well. But McCaffrey injury wise is, I think that's who you're most concerned about here, right? Debo, we, we kind of see this like two or three times a year. Like he wasn't even in pads. He came out for the second half, was on the sideline in street clothes. Not yep. a great sign. Uh, but, but McCaffrey is the one that we, we really, really need to keep an eye on here. They're calling in an oblique injury. Uh, you know, it looked like he, he was just 
kind of banged up uh, as well in the ribs. Uh, just kind of the, the, the midsection in general is going to be a problem for Christian McCaffrey. So, uh, you know, Browns play Monday night this week at Minnesota or Browns 49ers, excuse me, play this, right. this Monday night at Minnesota. They're at Cincinnati after that. They do have the bye uh, the following week. But uh, I, I think as of right now, you're, you're probably bracing for at least one week without Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, uh, I would say so. I mean, the problem is like you alluded to the Monday night issue there. Um, we don't know how much, uh, Mitchell's going to be cleared for con, you know, how much he's going to be cleared for Mason was ahead of him this past week. Mitchell generally is ahead of him on the depth chart. D Y is asking in the chat, Mitchell or Mason, uh, who are, if, if both are available and, uh, I, we I did sneaky ads with Alan earlier today and we're, yeah. we looked at on Yahoo Mason's 6% roster and Mitchell is 25% rostered. So. There's a lot of people dropped Mitchell because they had bye week crunches yeah. or they got tired of waiting for him. Who are you picking up first? I think it's Jordan Mason for me. And I honestly, agree. I'd be I'd be comfortable with either of them because I, I think they're both going to have a role if we expect Christian McCaffrey to miss a week or two. You got a, a pretty nice matchup against Minnesota next week. Um, you, you have a Cincinnati defense after that that has been pretty exploitable on the ground. So I, I think both of these guys could be sustainable. We, we did see Jordan Mason play 15 snaps in this game, seven for Elijah Mitchell, uh, you know, all 15 uh, of Mason's came after the injury to McCaffrey. So, so once McCaffrey was out of this game, you know, Mitchell or Jordan Mason was the guy over Elijah Mitchell. Obviously Mitchell has a little bit more history with this team, a little mm -hmm. bit more injury history of his own, but I, I would give slight priority to Jordan Mason. Uh, I, I do think we could see 60, 40 split, even closer to a 50, 50 split over these next couple of weeks. But I, I again, I, I'm bracing for Christian McCaffrey to miss some time here. We'll, we'll see what the ultimate timetable ends up being, but with six teams on by next week, you know, chances are you're going to need some help at running back no matter what. So I would give slight priority to Mason, but I'm happy to grab both of them. Yeah. And our problem is like a lot of waivers run Tuesday night or Wednesday, but the Niners first practice won't be till Thursday at Thursday. Um, and so we're going to have a, you know, you know, waiver runs in most of our leagues, except for maybe like, you know, I have some Thursday afternoon waiver runs, but uh, for the most part, most of mine are going to be done before the Niners even have their first practice. So uh, Mitchell is obviously the guy that's done more over his career. Um, so if, mm -hmm. if I knew he were a hundred percent, I'd go Mitchell, but I, I just can't assume that that's, that's my problem. Um, so big win for Cleveland. Uh, they did this, they win without Deshaun Watson. We don't know when Watson's going to play. There's, you know, there's, yeah. you know, Jay Glazer was saying on the uh, Fox, uh, Sunday morning, uh, preview show that. Watson's got it's the rotate the muscle underneath the rotator cuff that's preventing him from basically having his fastball. He's basically throwing it like 85%. Um, and you know, you need to dial it up at times as a quarterback there. Uh, so he, he they we don't he could play next week, he, he could not. They've the problem is they've already had their bye too. So right. you're not going to get you know, it's just coming off the bye, in fact, exactly. which makes it even more problematic. They get the Colts next week in Indy. Um, could be interesting, uh, but could be difficult too. Yeah, I, I, we're still just going to be going week to week with Deshaun Watson. And you know, obviously it, it didn't really seem like he was all that close to play, playing in this game. So you know, get, getting another week, that's that's all well and good. That's only going to help. But I don't think there's any guarantee that he's back for that Indy game. And, you know, P.J. Walker, he looked better than the DTR, but you know, still threw two picks. It was not amazing by any means, uh, although going up against a pretty difficult opponent in the 49ers. Uh, I, I think if you're the Browns sitting at three and two, if you got to go one or two more weeks with PJ Walker, you, you probably feel okay about surviving, but this, yeah, this Watson situation is just strange, man. Uh, it, it, there's still kind of a, you know, Watson versus the team 
element here uh, as far as, you know, the team clearing him to play prior to the bye, uh, the bye passing. And I think everybody expecting Deshaun Watson to be back. And then, you know, as the week went on, it became increasingly clear that that was not going to be the case. But, uh, you know, if Cleveland has to kind of ride the ground game, I, I think they're okay with that. You know, we'll, we'll see what they could do against Indy. Jacksonville didn't have a ton of success uh, on the ground yesterday against those Colts. But, um, you know, it helps when, when Gardner Minshew's tossing three picks. Jerome Ford, 17 for 84 uh, on this 49ers defense. Kareem Hunt, uh, I thought, looked pretty good. He goes 12 yeah. for 47 and a touchdown. Had a, had a couple nice plays through the air as well. Um, t- tough to really have too many takeaways from either offense. I, I do think the conditions played a big part. And, yeah, when you have two top five defenses going at it, too, I think that really showed through. The conditions always seem to play a part in Cleveland, too. I mean, week yeah. one was the same thing. Last year, we saw it's going to get worse, by the way. Um, it's going to yeah. get windier and colder. Uh, we're going to have some other games. So I think that's one thing you got to keep in mind when you, you know, even like Amari Cooper, who looked phenomenal yesterday, oh yeah, is going to get hurt by this later on this season. He is. He is. And, you know. Browns are on the road the next two weeks, so kind of keep that in your back pocket for now. But yeah, Amari Cooper was kind of the saving grace. Uh, really, the only the only thing they could get going in the passing game. He had one one long contested catch that was that was going to go down as one of the better catches we'll see all year. Absolutely, and he he was getting open a lot all day too. I was impressed. Let's remain in the division. Who day? Let's go with the Bengals and the Seahawks. If you missed the first half, you missed all the good stuff, all the offense at least. Uh, the defense for the Bengals was just amazing, though, in the second half, uh, especially when they needed to. I mean, they gave up some yards at times, but uh, they really locked down. The pass rush was getting to Geno Smith a lot in this game. And Cam Taylor-Britt, if you don't know, you, if you know, you know. If you don't know, you should find out because Cam Taylor-Britt is the truth. He is so good. As somebody who was on Seattle – in this game. And uh, you know, we, we actually took Cincinnati in Circa uh, on, on John's backing. I trusted him on that one. So props to John. Uh, we, we got the cover. I think it was at two and a half uh, in favor of Cincinnati. Uh, but I, I thought Seattle deserved to win this game, Jeff. I'm just going to say it. I, I know you're a Bengals fan. How many chances did Seattle have in the second half to go up? And you know, I, I thought the Seattle defense played pretty well in its oh, own right. Seattle was, defense was, was phenomenal. Right. I, Burrow looked fine. You know, he, looked, he looked mobile to me. Um, you know, I, I don't think the calf was necessarily an issue, but uh, both teams kind of grinded to a halt offensively in the second half. But Seattle, Seattle had three times in the second half that they turned it over inside the 10-yard line of the Cincinnati Bengals. One of those bad pick by Geno Smith. Two more times late in the game, they had opportunities after forcing quick punts by the Cincinnati Bengals, drove all the way down the field, went out on downs twice. Uh, just kind of bizarre play calling. I thought, you know, Geno Smith, he was under siege. You know, this, was not a, this was not a banner day for the Seattle Seahawks offensive line, but I also thought Geno was holding the ball way too long just not not getting rid of it you know plays that somebody who's been in the league as long as geno smith has like just just get rid of it just get rid of the ball instead of taking some of these crushing sacks uh you know seattle just like i said they were putting together you know really nice sustained drives and then once they would get inside the red zone for cincinnati everything just just broke down uh offensively uh you know one positive takeaway for seattle we saw jackson smith and jigba get a little more involved five targets four catches on those five targets for a career high 48 yards Still, you know, not quite the massive breakthrough performance that you'd like to see. Uh, but we, we talked a lot about him the last couple of weeks, a slow start for, for Smith and Jigba. If nothing else, good to see him a little bit more involved against a good defense. Yeah, I agreed. And you saw a little bit more Charbonnet, too. Um, yes. Saw a little Bobo, Jake Bobo, actually, too. Uh, had a couple of big catches. A couple of big drives. catches, yeah. Um, I don't – Gino held on to it a little too long, but I think he's earned enough that he, sh- he shouldn't be in jeopardy. Uh, but No, no, no. I do think maybe he's a little less mobile. 
Uh, remember, he hurt his knee in the late against the Giants before the bye on that Monday night game. Came back in the game. I think that uh, affected his ability to elude the pass rush. The Bengals have a good pass rush, though. Hendrickson's a beast out there. Um, you got Sam Hubbard on the other side. It does a lot of damage, too. Uh, but Taylor Britt was getting into Metcalf's head. Uh, Metcalf had took a horrible penalty. Just a horrible, horrible penalty. Way away from the ball. Um, and there's obviously there's some trash talking going on there, but he, he took, he just straight out shoved, uh, Taylor Britt and right in front of the ref. And is like, what, what did I do? Yeah. He's, um, he's good for like one or two of those every year. It feels like, yeah, he is. He is. Uh, the Bengals first two drives were awesome offensively. And then they did nothing after that, like n- almost nothing, you know, yeah. chase got open a couple times, but you know, Seattle dialed up their pass rush. They have a legit, real good pass rush. They kept mixing pretty well bottled up. They kept Chase pretty bottled up. Higgins had another rough game, um, had a drop, had a penalty. Uh, I feel like Higgins draw like draws extra scrutiny. He Every week he seems to get one OPI. Um, I, that's not scientific, but I feel like that that's something that uh, hurts him a little bit there, that he seems to get more negative attention from the refs than, than Chase does. So... We'll That's see. your wide receiver 64 on the year, T. Higgins, by the way. Uh, yeah. Cooper Cup has played two games, and he's produced more fantasy points in PPR leagues than T. Higgins. So, yeah, I I was trying to get T. Higgins everywhere. Like, he, he just somebody that I was always happy to grab as a second receiver. You know, there's a, kind of a lot of a lot of situations mm-hmm. where, especially if you're picking at the end of round one, you, know, you could pair him with one of the you know the top flight receivers, and you felt great about it. And it's it's been a bust season so far. And, it, you know, I, I think T. Higgins – Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think at some point he's going to come around. The track record is too good. This offense is too good. And I think, you know, the healthier Joe Burrow gets, um, like it's not going to be as bad as it's been through six weeks. But, I mean, this is close to worst-case scenario uh, if you were a, a manager of T. Higgins. Um, you know, you look at some of the – just the overall stats in this game. I mean, Seattle completely controlled the clock, uh, completely controlled the pace of this game, and they ran 70 plays. Uh, they racked up, you know, 170 more yards uh, than the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah. But, again, just could not could not finish drives. One of five in the red zone. So the Bengals have the two worst wins by expected wins. Uh, the Seattle, the Seattle game and the Rams game, both, yes. both we got out, out gained on it. it you know, I, you know, met, the metrics are what they are. I mean, and Bengals just know how to win. That's all there is to it though, Nick, but not just kidding. <laughs> well, I mean, getting, getting this win before the bye and, you know, playing oh, T Higgins, having, having T Higgins, even though he had a bad game, like having him emerge without re-injuring those ribs, like that is huge. Like this is, yeah. Given that you were one and two, you escaped that Los Angeles game in week three, feeling like you probably shouldn't have won. To be sitting at three and three now, going into the bye, getting healthier, you, know, you got some tough games coming out of the bye. But you know, all of a sudden that game at San Francisco, it's like, all right, you know, maybe McCaffrey's not available. We'll, we'll see on Debo Samuel after the bye. You know, like I, I think certainly you're never going to feel great about going on the road at San Francisco and then getting Buffalo after that. Even the Houston game uh, in week ten looks a lot more difficult than it did Absolutely. coming into the year. Uh, but I, I also think, you know, there's a case to be made that you're you're catching San Francisco at a, a reasonable time, especially coming off the bye. Exactly. Well, it's the Bengals' chance to win the NFC West, so I'm looking yeah. forward to that, too. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see about that. Um, let's move on. Uh, let, let's hit your Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, victory Monday. Victory lid Monday. Uh, yeah. They win a game where Trevor Lawrence didn't do a ton. They didn't need him to do a ton. Gardner Minshew did it for them, and, and Travis Etienne did it for them. The defense played great. Yep. ETN looked awesome. Um, that's my big takeaway is I told everybody ETN would be fine. I wanted to get ETN and Nick, I have no ETN. I, do, I, I hate it when I'm right and I don't benefit from it. 
he was somebody you had to pay up for in, in a lot of ways, right? I think a lot of people were on the the Travis Etienne train, and you know it felt like it cooled off a little bit as draft season went along. But it, you know, in best balls especially, that was somebody that you had to make a point to to typically jump ADP for. You know, this was not a a, a huge game for him in terms of yardage. Eighteen for fifty five. Uh, did have one long run. Uh, finished with two touchdowns. I mean, he's the he's the RB three now on the year, Jeff, behind only Christian McCaffrey and Raheem Mostert, uh, thanks mm-hmm. to these last couple productive weeks. Uh, but but the Colts defense, I thought, actually held up pretty well. It was, as you mentioned, it was Gardner Minshew turning the ball over. I mean, he, he threw three picks in, in this game and you know, could have thrown could have thrown probably at least two more. I mean, Devin Lloyd had three dropped interceptions on his own. And one of those he dropped, and then I believe Minshew threw a pick on the next play. Uh, so the, the Jacksonville defense very quietly leads the NFL in turnovers forced. 15 forced turnovers through six games for Jacksonville. We did not necessarily think that would be a strength for this team. I think the... The defensive line, the pass rush, you know, continues to be relatively inconsistent. They'd have three sacks today, uh, but but I think that's still an area of concern. But this secondary, you know, playing without Tyson Campbell has been fantastic. Uh, yeah. I thought that was, I thought that was a mistake by Jacksonville not making more of a point to address the secondary this offseason. They they held firm, but you know, guys like Rayshon Jenkins, Darius Williams has been fantastic. Andre Cisco, all three of those guys had picks. Uh, this secondary has really come around for Jacksonville and. Things are starting to look easier for the Jags. Like that was my big criticism through the first three weeks of the season was they were making things tough on themselves. They're you know, throwing a lot of like kind of lateral passes, short passes, not really asking Trevor Lawrence to do much. And like when you have a talent like that, when you have the receivers that they have, uh, you, you got to kind of air things out a bit more. And we, again, we didn't see a ton of that. I, I think we saw a more conservative game plan once Jacksonville grabbed the lead early. But this was not a game where Trevor Lawrence had to do a whole lot just because of Gardner Minshew, uh, you know, just handing Jags the football over and over and over. Uh, one last thing I'll say on this. Minshew started nine of nine. The Jaguars gave up a 16 play field goal drive to begin this game. Like the, the first quarter ended before the Jags even finished their first possession. So at first you're thinking, all right, this might be a low scoring game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, nine of nine, like Minshew was just nickel and diamond them. And then after that, you know, things completely fell apart. Minshew had the the sack fumble on the second possession and uh, the Jags were kind of off and running from there, but yeah, feeling a lot better about Jacksonville. Uh, You know, was another relatively quiet week for Calvin Ridley. He kind of continues to, to waffle back and forth. Like Christian Kirk, uh, has actually kind of low-key been the Jaguars' number one ride receiver since week one. He's, he's dramatically outperformed Ridley. Bench Kirk in one league. I feel great mm. shame about that one there. I but I I have I'm loaded at wide receiver in that league. It, it's it's funny, but um Trevor Lawrence got hurt at the end of the game. Got he hurt did. his knee. They play on Thursday at New Orleans on turf. How are we feeling about this? I'm not too concerned. Uh, you know, I, I think there's been optimism over the last 12 hours. He's going to undergo an MRI, but you know, we, we got the we got the report that you're always looking for, which is that you know they don't they don't think there's any damage. You know, again, we'll see what that MRI ends up showing. But uh, I think there was some more concern because Lawrence didn't come out for for the kneel downs on the final possession. Uh, but Doug Peterson basically said, yeah, I don't even know if he would have been out there anyway in that situation. Sure. Uh, so kind of kind of a weird play where you know he went down late in the game and we, we didn't there was there was so little time left that. Um, you know, I, I think Lawrence probably would have stayed in. Like he was walking around on the sideline. It, it looked worse, I think, in real time okay. um, than, than it actually was. So I'm not, I'm not super concerned. But again, you know, the fact that you're playing on the road on a Thursday uh, does add a, a little bit more uh, concern to that. But overall, I, I think he's going to be fine. Uh, in terms of the backfield split for the Colts, almost 50-50. Uh, Zach Moss pulled ahead in terms of snaps late in this game. I think Jonathan Taylor was just kind of out for the last, uh, the last drive that the Colts had. So that's when we saw Zach Moss pull ahead. But Prior to that, it was essentially a 50-50 split. Um, you know, with the Colts trailing most of the game, you know, they, they only carried the ball 15 combined times, eight for Jonathan Taylor, seven for Zach Moss. So I think we got the split that we thought. Uh, obviously, you know, you were hoping if, if you're rostering either of those guys, 
that the Colts aren't down two scores for the entire game and you're getting more volume. Uh, but, but overall, I think, you know, kind of what you expected as far as continuing to ramp up Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. And he was very active in the passing game, which I like yes. seeing too. There uh, at six targets, five for 46 on that one there. Michael Pittman, eight, uh, got 14 targets. Of course, when you're, when your quarterback throws it 55 times, <laughs> um, and gets sacked three others, uh, yeah, you're going to be, uh, you're going to get a lot of target share there. Yep. Um, I actually had some Josh Downs going for me. I used him in DFS. He got eight targets. They're all short. Did get the score at least to kind of make, to justify the day, to justify the usage. But it was one of those where like, eh, I was hoping for a little bit more downfield on that. Yeah, I got bailed out on the touchdown if you started him, which is fine. Uh, just a play where you know, really nice route by Josh Downs. Jags defender kind of slipped coming out of the break, and it was a pretty easy throw and catch for Minshew, two downs. But mm-hmm. yeah, certainly helped there. If, you, if you're getting you know 58 dropbacks from Gardner Minshew, not necessarily... Uh, again, the script that we wanted there. Uh, Alec Pierce did get hurt in this game, did not return. Uh, saw yeah. a little bit more of Amari Rogers of all people. I had no idea that Amari Rogers was on the Colts. I, I know. Uh, old friend, Amari Rogers there. Yeah. Uh, One of the most hurt. hated Packers of all time. <laughs> it's so funny how that works. Um, they get Cleveland next week, as we alluded to. So, I, I mean, I'm not going to want to start Minshew this week. Even no. I don't care what the element, you know, it's indoors. I still don't want to face that Cleveland pass rush. No. Uh yeah, I'll, I'll start Taylor if I have him. I'm not going to be happy about it. It'll probably be like ranked around like 15 to 20, somewhere in that range. Yeah, I think yeah, I'd have to start Pittman even with the bad matchup, but just because I'm I, in by apocalypse, I'm probably not going to do better. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it's not a great week for your Colts next week. No, no. And last thing I'll say on this game, Evan Ingram, seven catches on seven targets for 41 yards and a really nice one-handed catch over the middle. Uh, he's now put up double-digit fantasy points in PPR leagues in four of the last five weeks. So tight end, still a minefield week to week, but he's he's kind of sitting right where he should. He's tight end six through six weeks. Yeah, and you know, Kirk, all, all these guys, first of all, they didn't have to throw it that much, and then there was no Zay Jones this week either. So That, that matters. That, that matters, matters a lot. I, I mean, Zay Jones means probably more to this offense than he should, but that is a, a big piece for Jacksonville. You know what I, I also noticed? Uh, and th- I haven't seen the replay of this game, but we didn't have any uh, – uh, Agnew weirdness this week. Go figure. He didn't they lose won a, in a blowout. He did not lose a fumble. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's all. That's all you can ask from Jamal Agnew. Uh, did not have any touches uh, either as a runner uh, or or a pass catcher. Obviously, still you know handling kickoffs and punts. But uh, yeah, I, I think I would love to see like the Jaguars' numbers when Jamal Agnew does not lose a fumble. I feel like they've never lost in those scenarios. <laughs> I, it's they very well could be. So we'll go from one hated gadget player to another. Let's talk about the Saints and the Texans. Oh my uh, goodness. Saints. Oh. They're they're such they are such a tough watch, Nick. I mean, I know they, they won comfortably last week uh against the Pats, who are the toughest watch in the NFL. But you know, Derek Carr is a check down master, and he kept on checking down to Taysom Hill a lot. Uh Hill, I think, had you, know you love that. Yes, I do. I love it. Can't get enough of it. Seven for 49 on eight targets. So, I mean, it was it was kind of efficient. He only ran and Hill only ran at one time. So uh, it was less so than I thought. But the, the, I, the play that stands out to me is like emblematic of the Saints offense. Fourth and four. And they throw a check down out to Alvin Kamara and it ends up two yards short. Um, that, you know, and they, they did don't convert. It wasn't even close to converting. And I understand, hey, you get Kamara out one and one out in the flat take your chances i get it you get the ball in the hands of your playmaker but uh i hate fourth down plays short of the sticks like that hate 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 it and uh th- th- that's the saints offense in a nutshell 
Uh, they missed field goals in this game. They're just, you know, all sorts of weirdness going on there. So this game, the Seattle-Cincinnati game and the Atlanta-Washington game, I felt like played out almost the exact same. Like the Saints yeah. had so many opportunities yes. late in this game to win, and they just they could not get it done. You, know, you mentioned the missed field goal. I think that influenced some of the play calling down the stretch. That would have only made it a four-point game, so you still need a touchdown at that point. But uh, you know, I, I think if you look back, it's like I don't, I don't think the Saints thought they would have as many opportunities as they did. And I think you can say the same thing about Atlanta, and you can say the same thing about Seattle. And it's like all these – all these possessions where you're either turning it over or you're going out on downs deep in the opponent's territory. It's like, you look back and you're like, man, we could have just kicked the field goal and won the game. If we, if we had known that we would continue to get stops and continue to get the ball back. But yeah, yeah. over and over, you got to credit this Houston defense for getting stops. You know, that, that short throw to Camara that you mentioned on fourth down. I mean, the Saints were set up with a second and three at the 14 yard line, ran Camara twice for negative one yards. And then, you know, that, that brings up the fourth and short and, you know, Derek Carr just does what Derek Carr does in that situation and makes a bad, bad decision. But even after that, you, you, for, you force a very quick punt by Houston. You get the ball back with plenty of time, you know, almost three minutes on the clock. Saints put together a 12 play drive, get all the way down again, close to the red zone. And Derek Carr throws a pick because you, you're, you're backed into this fourth down situation where you, you kind of felt like you just had to throw it up. Uh, bad throw uh, ended up being intercepted. They reviewed it. Uh, the defender brought it down. Wouldn't have mattered anyway. It was fourth down. Uh, but yeah, the, the Saints, man, they're, they're they're poorly coached. The execution has not been there. And I, I think, I, at least me, they, they tricked me with that game against New England last week. I, I thought, all right, maybe the offense is finding something. Like, I know it's the Patriots. I know they're terrible, but it's still a defense that you have to respect. No, this was, we're back to being the same old Saints. This is a team that's going to struggle to score 20 points most weeks. Yeah, it's frustrating as all hell. I mean, again, the division is starting to live down to expectations. The Bucs are playing better. They lost yesterday yeah. and didn't look great doing so. Uh, but the Saints are just, okay, you, you have a good defense. That's great. You have Olave. You have Kamara. You have playmakers. And then, you know, they, they this big, you know, hey, we're going to we're gonna stay competitive by signing Derek Carr. And it's just like, he's Andy Dalton plus one, you know, maybe. If that. Yeah, Carr, he's just a bad man. And I I, I thought Carr would be an upgrade. I, I thought he, you know, kind of got shafted a little bit with how things ended in Vegas, but he hasn't looked any better to me. He's looked, no. I think he's given up about exactly what Andy Dalton was last year and then maybe a little bit lower. Um, I, I almost trust Dalton more in these late game scenarios. Yeah. Meanwhile, on the Houston side of things, kind of a sloppy offensive game for them. I, I, I think one of my takeaways is that they actually have a pretty decent defense, but we yeah. saw CJ Stroud throw his first interception. Only threw for 199 yards. They kind of bottled everybody up. Nico Collins still got his 80 yards. Schultz is becoming a more frequent target now. Early in the season, Schultz wasn't getting targeted that often, but I maybe because Tank Dell was out with the concussion that Schultz got more targets. Robert Woods got the score, and that's about it. Uh, I picked up John Mechie in a league thinking, okay, he's going to step up. He didn't even get a target in this game. Yeah. Um, Noah Brown instead was the guy that stepped up a little bit more, but a little bit more. And Devin Singletary was a better runner than Damian Pierce. And that's a big concern for me because Pierce is nothing in the passing game. So if Pierce isn't running the ball and he's losing carries to Singletary, what do we got here? Heading into the bye week with Pierce, I'm I'm kind of like, okay, giving him a break and then we'll reassess after the bye with him because uh, it's, it's really frustrating being a Damian Pierce manager right now. Yeah, the workload was split pretty evenly between those two. 13 carries for Pierce. He put up his usual 34 yards uh, on those yeah. 13 carries. 12 for Singletary for 58. Uh, but what's more concerning is when you dig in on the snap counts, Jeff, 34 snaps for Devin Singletary, 21 
for Damian Pierce. So that is a that is a notable downturn. You know, he did run seven routes, but like you said, they almost never look for him in the passing game. That's not really something you could count on. I mean, it's it's been a slog. I, I don't really see that changing. And, and now with, with Singletary emerging uh, as somebody who could take some of those snaps away, I think I, I would say you could try to sell Damian Pierce, but I, I don't know who's buying at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's a, it's a, pro- it's a real problem. By the way, Chandler's got a CJ Stroud question. We'll go ahead and bring that up. You know, Chandler asked, can only hold two QBs. He's got fields. Who's now hurt and the report on him. We'll talk about it, but he's not expected yeah. to play this week. And Stroud, who's on by, would you trade Stroud, Jerome Ford, and uh, Terry? I'm assuming that's scary Terry McLaurin for Burrow and Lockett. I mean, normally I would, but you got the same problem. Burrow's on by this week, yeah. too. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think in terms of value, this is a good trade. Uh, yeah. But it doesn't address your problem. Uh, so we'll see yeah. about that. Yeah, I think if you if you're just kind of assuming that you'll pick somebody up for this coming week, then yes, do that trade uh, because all yeah. three quarterbacks that we're talking about here are probably not going to be available. Two obviously will not because they don't have games, and then uh, we'll talk about Fields in a moment. But the the initial report from about a half hour ago uh, is that the Bears are calling him doubtful. Which when you get that this early in the week, I would say uh, highly highly likely that Justin Fields will not be playing. They said it's going to come down to whether or not he could grip the football, um, and my guess is that we we see him sit at least a week, but yeah, in a vacuum, I think you make that trade. I I would, I would much rather have Joe Burrow Uh, worth noting. I mean, this was, this was definitely CJ Stroud's worst game, 13 for 27 for 199. Uh, did throw his first pick of the season uh, to Zach Bond, ex Badger who promptly fumbled the ball back to Houston uh, right after the pick. So it it actually ended up being like a net loss of like three yards and then a new set of downs for Houston. Uh, And that's just kind of the day it was for new Orleans. You you get that big break. uh, Like it was funny. Like as soon as Zach Bond caught the ball, you could like, you could see, you know, obviously, Obviously not somebody who's familiar with carrying it. Like it looked like he should have fumbled. Like he was kind of doing like the Sean McCoy. The arms are going all over the place. I uh, was not surprised to see that ball come out. But uh, nonetheless, the, the streak is over for CJ Stroud, who despite only having 13 completions, I mean, a couple of those are bangers, man. He had, he had one kind of an outbreaking flag route to Nico Collins, guy bearing down, you know, kind of leaned back in the pocket, just dropped it out there perfectly. I mean, he, he continues to look really, really good. Yep. And he, you know, he, he's not going to have a first place schedule either. So, yep. I mean, this is something that works in his favor a little bit too. Uh, before we move on, uh, I got to share a couple of notes. First, we're on the Blue Wire Network. Here are their ads. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Also, uh, we have our, our, our podcast today is brought to you by the good folks from Circa. Get ready for the ultimate big game parties at Circa Resort and Casino. Super Sunday is in Las Vegas this year. Watch the big game poolside at Stadium Swim's big game viewing party. I know Nick's a big fan of uh, Stadium Swim. I love the big game. Yeah, and the big game. Massive screen, booming game sound, and a view of the pyrotechnic and visual effects throughout the game. Snag the best seat in the sun with daybeds, poolside boxes, cabanas, and more. Our touchdown at the world's largest sportsbook, Circus Sports, for the big game bash. Three stories of football glory featuring a 78 million pixel screen. Book your seat with a variety of reservation options, including bottle service, open bar, stadium-style food, and more. Don't miss these legendary viewing experiences on February 11th. The big game parties only at Circa Resort and Casino. Reserve today at CircaLasVegas.com. Jeff Erickson here with Nick Whalen, and uh, thank you for your patience there. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, let's stay in the NFC South. You alluded to this game earlier here, the Atlanta game. Uh, uh, just the, the Washington-Atlanta game. You're, you're right. I mean, early on, Washington was dominating this game. Late in the game, the fourth quarter was one of just a comedy of errors by the Falcons. I mean, you had a uh, a delay a game, uh, you know, down, down by the goal line there, which is just awful, awful stuff. And then the next play, they threw an interception in the end zone where they snapped the ball with like a second left on the play clock after a delay a game, forced into a bad throw or Ritter threw on his back foot. Just inexcusable stuff here. Uh, there were some positives, but the mistakes just totally outweighed everything here. Yeah, the, the late game execution, the red zone execution was just unbelievably bad uh, by the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, the, multiple times where it seemed like there was some confusion getting the play in, some confusion, yeah. you know, trying to change the play as the clock is going down. Uh, you know, and, and you know, I compared this to the the Cincy Seattle game, uh, you know, as well as uh, the New Orleans Houston game. I mean, Atlanta had chance after chance after chance after chance to win this game after going down 24 to 10. Uh, you know, Ritter throws his, his first pick of the day. Uh, on the first drive of the the second half, and you're thinking, all right, this might be over the way Washington's playing. And from then on, you know, Washington finishes punt, 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 uh, and, and Atlanta just you know kept having opportunities. You know, they they scored a touchdown uh, towards the end of the third quarter, opted to go for two, did not get it, made that an eight point game. And I, I feel like that, I, I don't know if that just kind of led to some uncomfortability or what, but it felt like Atlanta was pressing from then on out. And I mean, yeah. both of the interceptions by Ritter horrible i mean especially the second one you know kind of off his back foot throws way short easy interception in the end zone uh you know another game where i think again if atlanta knew that they would keep getting the ball back over and over it's like oh we'll just we'll just kick three field goals and win this game by one um but you know they, they were repeatedly able to get into the red zone and things just fell apart from there you know for a team that has so many weapons and you know two really good running backs and tyler algier and Bijan robinson I, the amount of passing in the red zone to me is bizarre like desmond ritter 
that should be a desperation situation only. He should not be throwing the ball when you're within 10 yards of the end zone and you have this offensive line and this running game. And granted, you know, Washington held up okay uh, against the run. Neither Algier nor Bijan Robinson had a huge day on the ground. And that's that's actually becoming a trend for Atlanta. Like they're, they've remained committed to the run, but they have not been racking up big time yardage totals these last few weeks. They were under 100 yards as a team last week. Uh, they, they only got to 106 as a team this week. And part of that was Desmond Ritter getting loose on a couple of scrambles. But, um, you know, we, we, we saw Ritter play the best game, I thought, of his career a week ago. He got to 300 plus yards in this game. That that is that is a lie. Uh, if, if you watch Desmond Ritter in the second half, it was disastrous. If you just watch Arthur Smith's face uh, in the second half, you, you yeah. knew what was going on. I think this is a coach that has lost faith in his quarterback. I it seems like they they're really resisting, you know, the Taylor Heineke talk. But you got to think about it at this point, man. I mean, this was this was brutal by Desmond Ritter. It was, and opposing teams are saying, okay, Bijan is not going to beat us. With this running game, we're going to take that away from you. You're, we're going to make Desmond Ritter beat beat you. Um, and they barely pulled it out against Houston. But, you know, the, the Jacksonville game, he was terrible. The Detroit game, he was pretty terrible. You notice in the Detroit game, you know, Detroit shut down that running game big time. Yep. Um, and, you know, Detroit's awesome against the run. Not to, Not a real shocker there. Uh, but Washington is just okay against run, and they they loaded up against that. And then later on, they dialed up the pass rush when they had a lead, and they were trying yeah. trying to protect that lead. Um, Roberto asks about a Bijan trade. Roberto in the chat asks, "What about Brees Hall for Bijan? Uh, Brees Hall, you know, he, he's getting more work now. He's looking pretty good. Uh, the Jets have their tough part of their schedule is done. They're on by this week, uh, yeah. but they're one of the six teams on Bipocalypse. But uh, I don't know. I'm thinking about this one here and I could, I almost can kind of see it, except it's a similar team profile team right. team led by a bad quarterback with a great running back. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think Bijan and Brees all have been, you know, really comparable so far. I think the, the kind of boom bust uh, potential has been very similar week to week. Yeah, I think with Bijan, the workload has been there no matter what. I mean, he's had double digit carries in every game, regardless of the <laughs> script. Uh, he still had five catches for 43 in this game. So I, I, I still think I, I trust him to have a higher floor week to week, but I, I think okay. Brees Hall has to be viewed as having a higher ceiling uh, at this point. And, you know, if you're concerned about bye weeks, like you said, Jets are, are off this week. Atlanta doesn't have its bye until week 11. Uh, but I, I would consider that trade, man. If, if you're frustrated with the B. John Robinson experience, I mean, these, these last two weeks, 27 carries for 83 yards. Uh, you know, the teams are loading up. Like you said, teams are going to force Desmond Ritter to beat them. I, I think you'll happily, you know, seed 300 plus yards to Desmond Ritter every week because the more he's throwing the ball, the more that creates opportunities for turnovers. And we saw that yet again. Yeah. Bijan was the target on the game ending interception uh, on a slant. He, I, I was like, which wide receivers? Oh no, that was Bijan running a slant. Um, and honestly, it was a good play by the defender breaking on the ball. I didn't really, and he might've gotten away with a little bit of a hold too, but you know, that, that one, it was like kind of excusable, especially for the game circumstances. They just had to get it done. Uh, yeah. But still, yeah, but and like they, there was like they wasted time on that uh, on that drive of that very last drive, too. I mean, there's just the whole thing was just uh, very frustrating to watch uh, Washington side of things. Terry McLaurin didn't score, but he looked really good. They they made a point of throwing to him early. I think after all the talk about him and Dotson not doing much in that in the Thursday night game against the Bears, they made sure to reestablish scary Terry. They didn't do that with Dotson, though. Dotson is just. You know, he, for whatever reason, he is just not getting the work. Only one target in this game. I mean, 
it's tough to roster a guy in this situation because, you know, Samuel's getting more looks. Diami Brown only got one target, nearly came down with a deep ball. But, there, you know, this also was a game where Howell had a hard time getting rid of the ball. He got sacked five times, I think yeah. scrambled a few others. Um, I, th- I think Sam Howell is just a free sack is what he is. Yes. He, he holds... You know, he holds, holds that ball a long time. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, you know, but I think that's one of the reasons why Dotson gets hurt a little bit too. Yeah, I mean, the snaps have been there for Dotson. He played played basically the same number of snaps as McLaurin in this game, ran 25 routes, but, yeah, just just one target. Uh, I mean, this was a, a very heavy Terry McLaurin game. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Curtis Samuel was the only other player who had more than one target in the passing game for Washington. And, you know, the, the offense kind of turtled up in the second half. They really didn't do anything – uh, after that initial touchdown following the the first Ritter pick. So I think that was that was a little bit part of it. Commanders, you know, that, that's where a lot of those sacks happened as well. I thought the Falcons defense certainly played well enough in the second half and, and given the three turnovers to win this game. But yeah, it's been a, a frustrating experience uh, for Jahan Dotson owners. And I mean, I, I don't think at this point he's remotely startable. I, I think you can, you, you can justify maybe hanging on to him on a bench, but you, you can't throw him out there right now. I mean, this week, if you can't start him, and there are six teams on by. Right. He has to be a cut, then, doesn't he? I think so. And you know, I I think you can you can try to trade him again, but you're you're you know trying to trade him at his lowest point. So you know, good yeah. luck getting that done. I mean, even if you could just get some depth piece that you feel a little bit better about. Uh, but you know, he has the one touchdown on the year that was in Week Four against Philly. Other than that, you know, he's he's had two, three, four catches in most games, but you know, nothing down the field really. He does not have one explosive play on the year. Every single catch has been for less than twenty yards. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's kind of abandoned all hope for me, yeah. at least, uh, on this one here. All right. Um, that's enough of that game. Uh, yeah, moving on, moving on. Uh, let's let's talk about a happy game here. Uh, we'll stay. Uh, we got one more team in the uh, NFC South to discuss in the early slate, and that's Carolina. Kind of a fun game a little bit there. Carolina gets off to that 14 nothing lead. I'm on. I was on the Rams this week in Survivor, so I was like, Miami was my primary threat. I'm like, all right, would this be a miracle of all miracles? Will we see Miami lose at home? No, yeah. we will not. In fact, it won't be close. But for a quarter, it was fun. Yeah, it's fourteen nothing Carolina uh, to to open this game, and they you know they went three and out on their first possession, and you, know, you kind of felt like it was going to play out as expected. But two three and outs for the Dolphins on their first two possessions, gained only five yards. Uh, and then, you know, two of the best drives all year for Bryce Young and this Panthers offense made a great throw to, to Adam Thielen for a touchdown, kind of looping it over a couple of defenders into the back of the end zone. Uh, but this is the reason that we're comfortable betting the Miami Dolphins minus 13 and a half, Jeff. That was one of our plays in Circa Million this week. And obviously did not feel great about it when it was 14 nothing. but Miami could just pile up points so quickly. And it, it felt like uh, after forcing, you know, a fourth down stop uh, on the Panthers' fourth drive of the game, the switch flipped for Miami, and that was that. You know, immediately put together a three-play touchdown drive on a short field. Uh, they put together another touchdown drive just before the half. Um, and, and of course, after falling down, you know, fourteen nothing, they're leading by seven at the break. Uh, got a little bit dicey in the second half. Mike White came in in relief of Tua. Immediately throws a pick six, uh, but Miami got the ball back, ran the ball every single play on that drive, resulted in a touchdown for Salvin Ahmed. Um, but you know, this is now what like the third or fourth week in a row where if you look at some of the total stats, like Miami. Miami got beat in time of possession. They got beat in total plays run. And yet you look at yards per play and, you know, they're 2.1 yards per play better than Carolina. Like that's, they're a, a weird dichotomy of an offense where they, they, they run the ball a ton, but they don't, 
they don't typically control the clock. They don't typically control, you know, the play breakdown because of how quickly they tend to score. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and they don't care about that. They just don't. No. Um, it, it, it's pretty wild there. So, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it's kind of it, it is kind of fun to see uh, see that um, Christian McCaffrey is the leading fantasy point score uh, among running backs. Kyron Williams is number two, uh, but right there is Raheem. No, I, that's not true. Number two is actually Raheem Mostert. Yes. After this week, it's Mostert, who yeah. 34.2 points in PPR leagues this week, uh, which you know, it felt like kind of an obvious smash spot for him with, with A-Chan being out, but uh, could not have really gone better uh, if you're a, a Mostert owner, and obviously you're starting him everywhere uh, at this point. That's not even a question. Behind him, uh, you know, Chris Brooks was in the mix. Alvin Ahmed was in the mix. Uh, we did not see any of Jeff Wilson this week. will be interesting to, to, to see if he ultimately works his way into the mix at his practice window opened up this past week from IR. I, I think he'll be a part of this backfield uh, as long as HN is out. But, but Mostert, I mean, very, very clearly the guy at this point. Another huge day for Tyreek Hill, uh, despite going out, missing some time in the second half with a cramp. I, I initially looked worse. You know, they, he had a long play, kind of ran to the sideline, was was Gimby, you know, kind of reaching at like his his uh, hamstring area. And you, you're thinking if uh, cramps was kind of the last thing on my mind at that point. I thought he pulled a hamstring. Right, uh, right, right. To worry. Yeah, I, I didn't think he was coming back into the game. And you're starting to wonder, okay, what about the next couple of weeks? But he ended up returning, immediately had another big play once he came back into the game. Uh, six for 163 for Tyreek Hill, who's just a cheat code every single week. And Adam Thielen, still doing what he does, man. 11 yes. for 15 in a touchdown, man. I was, I did not consider drafting Adam Thielen anywhere, and I'm regretting it. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I kind of thought, okay, sure, he'll be, he'll get some volume early, but he doesn't have anything left, I thought. Oops. He's yeah. wide receiver three on the year in PPR leagues. Yeah. He is. Wow. I mean, and the thing is, with the Panthers 0-6, they're trailing every game. So yeah. the volume's always there, and Bryce Young just looks to him all the time. You know, Bryce Young, the touchdown pass to Thielen was a dime. I mean, he threw a pretty, pretty pass on that one there. Uh, but that was his only, you know, his only touchdown pass. And he, you know, much like Sam Howell, he's a free sack also. Uh, you know, four yeah. sacks that, uh, yesterday. Uh, just a sack machine. At least he didn't throw any interceptions this time. So, uh, or put the ball on the ground, which is something different. So good for him on that. Chuba Hubbard looked pretty good. And, you know, as the sole back, essentially Rasheem Blackshear got like Raheem Blackshear got like five carries. I thought we'd see more of your guy, LaVisca Chenault, but he only got one carry. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if the NFL stepped in and said he, he's just too dynamic. You know, it's not fair to the opponent if, if uh, LaVisca Chenault touches the ball too many times, but yeah, I was, I was hoping for that as well. Uh, Hubbard looked good. I, I've, I've always kind of been out on him. You know, the last couple of years he'd had his opportunities whenever mm -hmm. McCaffrey would go down and it always felt like Deontay Foreman just dramatically outplayed him, but uh, 19 for 88 uh, against the Dolphins defense had a touchdown as well. Didn't really do a whole lot in the passing game. Neither he nor Blackshear made much of an impact there. Um, and yeah, you mentioned with Bryce Young. I mean, this was this was a fine game for him. It wasn't a disaster. But the thing with him is like he's, he's semi-mobile. But like, if there's any contact whatsoever, like he's going down. Like he, he has no ability to like bounce off of rushers or really feel right. that. But yeah, it's like if you're, if you're getting remotely close to him, he's just kind of going to hit the ground for his own safety, uh, which ends up hurting the Panthers. Uh, Carolina 0 for 4. Uh, tried to convert fourth downs in this game as well. They, they actually moved the ball throughout the game, but uh, some big stops by that Miami defense. And now Miami moving to five and one. Things are looking good. You know, it, it feels like they haven't played that well. Uh, you know, these these last couple of weeks, and they're still you know winning games by three scores, no problem. Uh, they are at the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday night in Week Seven. 
Yeah, huge part of the schedule coming up for Miami. You got Eagles, you got the Frankfurt game against the Chiefs coming up. Boy, I can't wait for that one. That's one I don't mind waking up early for, oh, yeah. so that should be fun. Um, Carolina, Frank Reich is relinquishing play calling duties. Yes. Um, his choice, he said, even though you've got a meddlesome owner in David Tepper who meets with him yeah. every week. Kind of a Jim Irsay sort of vibe right there. Or Jerry Jones giving press conferences every week on the injury report. I mean, what? What? It's such a the NFL is so weird, uh, but hey, you know, we'll see what happens uh, if that changes anything there. But uh, we'll see. And, you know, at some point, you know, we'll see if they uh, they trade for that receiver uh, that that's been long rumored if they're going after that. But, hey, yeah. uh, I, I, I tend to think oh, and six teams don't add players, but we'll see. Hey, Got to get Adam Thielen some help. Yeah, exactly. I actually don't think their their wide receiving crew is that bad. I guess I don't think they so. don't have top end speed. I think that's the yeah. they don't have anybody to take the top off. Maybe that's their problem there. But DJ Chark isn't getting that done anymore. Um, so let's let's move on. Uh, one more day uh game in the early slate. Uh, the Bears against the Vikings. Ugh. Just yeah. Very so all those positive vibes about Justin Fields gone. Um, even before he got hurt terrible day six of ten 58 yards a pick and four sacks uh he did run for 46 yards he had that going for him but honestly this 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 offense was a total disaster yesterday mm-hmm. yeah we we saw tyson badgett uh, or bajent uh, of all people uh play out most of the second half i think it was his third snap of the game uh fumble six uh, that was really the difference for the minnesota vikings and you know bajent looked reasonable after that i mean i think it was a pretty disastrous way to, to begin your nfl career but let a touchdown drive uh later in the second half you know bears forced a quick three and out after that had a chance uh to, to make things interesting at the end drove uh, into minnesota territory and then uh, we saw Bajan, you know it just throw up a duck look for dj Moore in the end zone yeah. it was like 15 yards short uh easy interception for byron murphy uh for the vikings who brought that out and then you know after that minnesota able to run out the clock so I mean, this was as ugly when you see 19 to 13, like that's, that's a weird score. Uh, something weird has to happen for games to, to result in 19 points. And this is exactly what that was. I mean, Minnesota did not look great by any means. Certainly felt the loss of Justin Jefferson, just 181 yards passing for Kirk Cousins against the Bears defense that has let everybody, you know, kind of walk all over it this season. Uh, Vikings were two of 13 converting third downs in this game. You know, had some costly penalties as well. Only possessed the ball for about 24 minutes. So it was it was certainly ugly for Chicago, but the Bears controlled this game in a lot of ways. And that 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 Beijing fumble six, I think, was was the ultimate difference maker. Other than that, I, I thought this was a pretty evenly played game. Yeah, I, I saw a Chicago Sun Times article on Twitter uh, advocating that Beijing deserves a real chance to win the starting. I don't know about problem. that. Like, undrafted free agent out of Shepherd, um, yeah. he did beat out uh, PJ Walker, who we talked about earlier, and Nathan Peterman, which is yeah, well. less of an accomplishment, but still, come on. That, that, you know, it, Justin Fields has his faults, but let, let's not get too let's not get too silly here. Yeah. Well, I, I, we're gonna, I think we're going to see Bajan on Sunday against the Raiders. Um, I agree. But I, I also think this is Justin Fields' job. All right. When, when he's back, he's he's going to be the quarterback, and that could that could you know be as soon as uh, you know week nine. They're they're at the LA Chargers. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see. I'm interested to see how they look against the Raiders. We'll we'll talk about their just you know dominant victory over the New England Patriots in a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, that, I, I think that's a, a relatively soft spot. Uh, if you're Beijing looking to make your first NFL start. So I, I don't know. I, I didn't really, I didn't really see anything that would prompt me to say that this guy needs a chance to be the starter. Um, no, yeah. not and at again, all. He's going, to, he's going to get it by default, but I, I don't think this is really an audition. I think it's just a, 
um, you know, kind of a, a band-aid until Justin Fields is ready. And again, uh, you know, the, the athletic reporting earlier this morning that it is a dislocated right thumb for Justin Fields. Um, probably going to, he's going to avoid surgery. At least that's the hope. Um, and then it's just about, you know, that, that recovering to the point where he could grip the football. And uh, I don't think that's going to be in week seven. So tough spot for the bears now sitting at one and five Minnesota. Meanwhile, two and four still, I, I don't think the Vikings have really shown me anything to think that this is a team that could, you know, explode over the second half of the season. You, know, you get the 49ers after this, after that, then it's the Packers, the Falcons, the saints, the Broncos, the bears and the Raiders. So that there is a, there is a stretch here where Minnesota could try to get this thing turned around, but I, I this just looks like a pretty toothless offense to me. Yeah, it really, it really sucks not having uh, Jefferson there. It's a big difference. It, it, it hurt. Uh, I mean, cause this was a very plus matchup and oh, they, they, they very little with it. Madison 18 for 44. Ugh. Uh, it's the bears against the bears. Uh, yeah, exactly. If it weren't yeah, for we the saw defense, no Cam Akers, by the way, uh, nine nine snaps only for Cam Akers. So it was like a 90-10 split for Madison. Yeah, they've kind of figured out that Akers can't play, but the problem is nobody else can either. So yeah. um, they're back into that boat. But maybe it, it's it's a Ty Chandler account again here. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. We saw a lot of CJ Ham, uh, you know, kind of going with these, these heavier sets for Minnesota. Um, you know, Jordan Addison thought this might be a smash spot for him. Just three catches, did have five targets, got in the end zone. So if you started him, uh, ended up being okay. TJ Hawkinson, six for 50. Uh, but disappointing day overall. I think even, you know, post Jefferson, we knew this offense would fall off. Uh, but like you said, I mean, this was, this was kind of like the best spot to begin this stretch without Justin Jefferson. And the passing game just couldn't get anything. I mean, 5.8 yards per attempt for Kirk Cousins. Yep. Uh, and Kirk Cousins, by the way, has a full no trade clause and said he doesn't plan to waive it. That could just be a negotiating posture. Or, you know, he needs to be demonstrating he's landing in the right situation. And maybe this might be a don't trade me to the Jets sort of comment. I don't know. Uh, but regardless, there, there there you go. Let's move on uh, to the afternoon Please. slate. Um, let's talk, You alluded to it. Let's let's talk about that barn burner game between the uh, Raiders and the Pats. Uh, also known as me getting a miracle cover on the Raiders there uh, with the, the safety for the cover. You yeah. got to love that. 21-17 is the final. It was a three-point spread on that one there. The Raiders were the dominant team the whole time. They deserve, I mean, somehow, they, well, they didn't deserve because they couldn't put the, the ball away in the, and when they were in the red zone. But this is that they were the better side the entire game, and somehow the Pats had the ball with a two-point deficit. It was a chance to even win the game. Uh, instead, they give up the safety sack yeah. where just – couple of the worst blocks you'll ever see in uh, on that on that sack by max crosby beat two guys and they were like like ole but it was pretty funny yeah the, the right tackle especially there was there was a view that they showed yeah. uh kind of on, like a reverse view and he just just totally whiffed on one of the best best pass rushers didn't even get a hand on him uh in the nfl and max crosby and you know extra frustrating if you're in new england plus three better because at one point on that drive it was second and four from the 15 then yeah. they had a hold and then they had a delay of game on third and 11 to back them up to the four yard line and make it to the point where Mac Jones is getting that snap in the end zone. So it really, it never should have come to that. It's not like the Raiders punted and pinned him at the one yard line. I mean, New England backed itself essentially into a safety situation. That was like the one thing you could not have if you were betting New England. And uh, of course it happened. You, you kind of knew as soon, as soon as the ball was snapped, like Crosby was so far in the backfield that there was just really nothing that Mac Jones could do. Um, you know, in New England, interestingly, you know, they were down nine, uh, you know, kind of going into the fourth quarter, put together, a 17 play, almost 10 minute scoring drive to make this a two point game. And it's like, all right, that's all well and good. But they, they burned off so much time on that, on that touchdown drive that it almost came back to hurt them. I mean, by the time 
you know, they, they scored and kicked it back to, to the Raiders. I mean, it was like three minutes left in the game. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but that's, that's what they can do. I mean, they have no playmakers. I mean, None. it's Kendrick Moore, Kendrick Bourne getting eight here, seven there, nine there. Um, you know, Ramondre Stevenson, uh, you know, you know, he actually got in the end zone this time and his, his per carry numbers were a little bit better, caught five passes. So this is a promising game in a way, but Zeke was on the field more, had a long run called back. Otherwise, Zeke would have had the better day. Um, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, it just it's hard to see a whole lot of hope for the Pats. I mean, they're quietly. Uh, I, I meant to mention in the, the Bears breakdown that the Bears have, the you know, project currently have the top two picks in next year's draft. Yeah. Um, but the Pats are right there for uh, in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes. Well, and they got the Bills and the Dolphins the next two weeks. You know, yeah. So there's a pretty good chance this is going to be a one and eight team. And honestly, they should probably be on six right now. You think back to that Jets game where there was the, it was the broken yeah. coverage. I forget who was, was like their third string tight end broke loose for a long play. It's like you take that away. And that was really the only thing they got on offense in that game against the Jets. I mean, this is it's gone from bad to worse. Right? And this is one of those spots where, you know, it's one thing to, to get blown out at Dallas. You know, I think we all kind of saw that coming. You know, it's another thing to lose 34 to nothing coming mm-hmm. off of that blowout at home against the Saints. But this spot right here against the Raiders, you know, Bill Belichick, it feels like has always had this huge advantage against his former pupils, you know, going up against Josh McDaniels. Like this was, this was a game that in the past, the Patriots would always find a way to win. And the fact that they couldn't get it done. And once again, like you said, I mean, there are a few bad teams in the NFL right now. Like none of them have trouble generating chunk plays in the way that the Patriots do. There's one long play to Kendrick Bourne on the day. There's a big drop by Devontae Parker, by the way, in the fourth quarter that could have changed things for New England. But that aside, I mean, there's just, there's nobody that you're worried about. On, on if you're if you're an opposing defense it's like who who do you have to say all right we got to shut this guy down or we're going to be in right. trouble like there's just there's nobody it, it's a team that's filled with a bunch of like third and fourth receivers yeah it's just remarkable bad drafts in a row here um yeah by the way this is two years in a row they found a way to lose at las vegas last year is the jacoby myers <sighs> unbelievable lateral uh and now myers is back on the other yeah. side of the coin uh you know, putting his team through the torture chamber yeah. on the Raiders side. Uh, Michael Meyer, five for Big. 75. Love seeing that. Uh, Myers, five for 61. Devontae Adams only had two catches. Uh, yeah. So, and granted, Jimmy G got hurt in this game. Uh, we saw Brian Hoyer. Brian Hoyer hit the one big play to Trey Tucker that pretty much saved their game. Um, and then, because otherwise, I think that, that they were going to be in a little bit of trouble there. It was 13 mm-hmm. 3, I think, at the time. They got some points off of that drive or 13 10 at the time is just, you know, the, the Pats had just scored is getting close. And now Jimmy G's out and they got, they got some points at least out of that, but they really struggled in the red zone otherwise. Yeah, they did. And, you know, I, I think even when you're bringing in a veteran backup quarterback, like Brian Hoyer, things change. You know, the, the playbook tightens up a little bit. You're not quite as comfortable running some of your normal stuff. And uh, that, that certainly hurt the Raiders uh, in the red zone. One of six converting red zone opportunities, uh, on Sunday, you know, certainly could have been a game that that was more slanted in favor of Vegas. Uh, Jimmy G, by the way, ended up in the hospital uh, getting yeah. checked out for that back injury. So no, no firm update on him quite yet. I mean, I think given that he was in the hospital 12 hours ago, uh, pretty good chance that we see Brian Hoyer or, or perhaps Aiden O'Connell if he's healthy uh, next week uh, against the Chicago Bears and what will be just an all time ugly <laughs> game. Uh, you, you mentioned Michael Mayer. That was kind of the one big fantasy takeaway here. Like there's there's nothing to say about New England at this point. It's just the same story every single week. Like we can yep. we can keep you know, trying to, to like scrape together some positives for Ramondre Stevenson, but that situation is what it is. Uh, you know, Michael Mayer played a hundred percent of off- offensive snaps when the Raiders were in 12, 21 and 22 personnel 
Uh, that's via PFF that always does great uh, breakdowns of each of these games. Uh, also played almost 75% of snaps in 11 personnel. So the, the last few weeks, you know, first five games of the year, he was only in at about a third of plays in mm-hmm. 11 personnel. So we, we've seen his snaps now rise uh, in, in four consecutive weeks for the Raiders. So something to keep an eye on. You know, if you don't have one of those top six or seven tight ends and you, you kind of feel like you're reeling week to week or, or just kind of pulling guys off the waiver wire, uh, Michael Mayer is somebody who's on the way up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a team that's on the way up is the D- Detroit Lions. Uh Big win on the road without any running game. They lose David Montgomery early in this one. They are already without Jameer Gibbs. They still win comfortably on the road at Tampa. It was it was close for a while, and then they after the Monroe St. Brown touchdown, they made it 10-3. It felt like, okay, we've got this, and they get the next touchdown. Okay, now they definitely have it. Goff, 353, two touchdowns, no interceptions on the road. This was the type of game I feel like that Detroit would get tripped up in years past, maybe even last season, right? When they yep. when they began this ascent, it's like, all right, kind of an obvious trap game. You're going on the road, team coming off of a bye. You know, Bucks are three and one. They're, Mike Evans is playing. And, you know, it, this was a game where Detroit was not able to get anything going on the ground. And I think yep. that that gives even more credit to Jared Goff. Like, it's one thing it's one thing when, you know, you're, you're bludgeoning a team on the ground. They have to prepare for that. And you kind of get to pick your spots through the air. But that was not the case. Like, this game was 100% on the shoulders of Jared Goff. And I think given the circumstances, this is one of the best games of his career. You know, like we, we know about his struggles, you know, outside versus indoors. Like obviously this game was down in Florida, warm weather outdoors look great. You know, the, the Lions lost David Montgomery early in this game due to injury. Uh, so you know, the, the running game was not really doing anything while he was in there, but it went from bad to worse. Once he left Craig Reynolds, 10 carries for 15 yards. Uh, but Jared Goff, you know, put this team on his shoulders. And I, I thought played one of the better games of his career, at least his Detroit Lions career. Huge, huge afternoon for Amon Ross St. Brown. 12 for 124 and a touchdown. And our guy, Jamison Williams, Jeff, 45-yard touchdown. Yep. I, I still don't want to start him. You know, like I, I, I think it's understandable to hold him um, on a roster, but it, it's still so boomer bust with Jamison Williams. Only three targets on the day. You know, snap count is still really low, but this is what he offers. Yeah, that even the touchdown was a little fluky. Like, he adjusted in the air like three times, I felt like. He's like, yeah. turn 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 again and, and you know hey made a good catch but it yeah. was like it was it was kind of still a weird play but you're right uh volume's definitely not going to be there for williams uh but who knows they may still have to throw it a bunch they play baltimore at baltimore next week uh Very fun game. yeah it should be a fun game we'll see uh it, what running back is available for them and they could be down their top two it could be a craig reynolds start which means you might see another 40 throws for jared goff who knows uh Baltimore, uh, we had a question in the comments about Baltimore from Herman asking, uh, what, how do you see Baltimore's running back usage change with Keaton Mitchell activated? I mean, we didn't see a whole lot of anything no. there this past week, but I mean, they're looking for playmakers, Baltimore is. Uh, I think Justice Hill has that capability. Gus Edwards doesn't really. Gus Edwards is a plotter. Yeah, and you know, Gus Edwards got what two thirds of the share in terms of carries 16 to eight uh, against Tennessee. You know, like you mentioned, Keaton Mitchell, he didn't take a single snap. So maybe at some point they work him in. I, I don't know if they, they still want him to get up to speed after coming off of IR, but I, I don't think that we see you know a dramatic snap count for him. You know, I, I think he'll be on the field in week seven, but I don't think you go from zero to playing 25 plus snaps. So if anything, I think he's probably the clear number three right now. Yeah. Braden winter asks a Detroit related question. Do I trade Joe Mixon for Jameer Gibbs? I'd say no. Because uh, no. even before Gibbs got hurt, the usage wasn't there. I mean, there's a game where Montgomery didn't play and Gibbs still right. didn't get massive usage. 
Yeah, and we'll, we'll see on Montgomery. You know, if we get a report, uh, it was a rib injury for him. You know, if, if he's out for significant time, you know, maybe that changes things as far as your outlook for Jameer Gibbs. But you said exactly what I was going to, which was we, we kind of had him in the perfect setup already this season, and the Lions still did not want to use him. You know, I think the Atlanta yeah. game stands out as, okay, 38 snaps, 17 carries. That's what we want to see from Jameer Gibbs. But, you know, against Green Bay the following week, played 10 fewer snaps. Uh, you know, he had the game, I think it was week two against Seattle, where he had seven catches. Uh, but that's the other thing is like the – the usage in the passing game has not been quite consistent enough for me to offset the fact that they, they want to use him as a distant number two in the running game. So I, I know, you know, Mixon's not as exciting by any means, but I, I'd rather have him and just, just get that floor week to week. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of the Baltimore running backs against Detroit, Detroit's number one against the run right now. So yeah. this uh, defense is, is for real. And they're missing guys too. I mean, they're, yeah. they're missing some key players on the defensive end and it just, it has not mattered. I, I thought Detroit was overrated. I, I thought they were going to be a team that would make the playoffs, but wouldn't really sniff that upper tier in the NFC, but I think they are very, very clearly the third best team in the NFC. And if, if you want to make the case against Philly or against San Francisco, I, I think there's, there's now reason to at least have that conversation. Yeah. Prior to this week, I thought there was a teardrop for sure between San Francisco, Philly, and then to Detroit. I would still say there's a teardrop between a healthy San Francisco to Detroit. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think the gap between Detroit and Philly has narrowed at least a little bit. Um, but then again, because I because I don't think Philly completely has their offensive mojo right now. I I no. think they do miss uh, their you know they miss their offensive coordinator. They have a new offensive coordinator obviously this year. Um, we'll get to Philly in a second because there's some baffling things yeah. going on there. Uh, in fact, let's go ahead and go, move on to that game right now. Uh, Philly found a way to lose this game against the uh, Jets. Uh, I mean, the Jets credit them for hanging around, hanging around. Uh, their defense played their butts off in this game. I thought mm -hmm. they made things incredibly uncomfortable for Philly in the second half of the game. I, I don't see why Hertz was throwing it on third and nine right, right around the two minute warning. I... You know, you know, make run some clock, make Zach Wilson beat you. I think that's a pretty good formula instead of what happened. Well, and that was after the two minute warning that that occurred. Yeah. So it's like, it sounded like you even had this automatic clock stop coming up. Right, right. Exactly. That. Uh, and that, that's what's so crazy. And then, of, of course, the Jets turn around and like it almost felt like out of excitement. They're just like kind of lost their mind and ran that thing in for a touchdown. You know, you're, you're thinking, all okay. right, like, you know, you're, you're at that point, you're down two. And I mean, they were set up at what, like the, the eight yard line. I mean, it's a gimme field goal at that point. And I, I think Philly still had two, two timeouts, timeouts. two timeouts, point. and like it was a minute 40. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so for one, Philly, you know, should have just run the ball and punted on third down. They did not do that. Um, and then, yeah, the Jets get it back. And all you got to do at that point is, you know, you're not gonna be able to run it all the way down, but you could have run it under a minute. And, you know, you're assuming you make the field goal, you go up one and you're kicking it back to Philly and they'll have what 35 to 40 seconds to, to basically go 80 yards and, and beat you. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. No, what no, it, it was, you wouldn't have to go that far though, uh, because you would only would have been up one. So I think Hall was fine scoring. Uh, on this one okay. here. Um, and I argue this on Twitter a little bit because the two timeouts were key. Elliot's made a 60 yarder before. Now I know it's he true. missed the field true. goal earlier in the game, but we know he's a capable of a long distance kick. Mm -hmm. If you're only up one, then you lose to a field goal. So true. I could see it. And, and cause if they get it to third down, then all of a sudden Philly's going to play defense and you're not guaranteed the touchdown. Right. And not at all. strange not things at all. happen. You could have a hold. You could have a turnover. I was okay with the touchdown. Let's just put it that okay. way. Yeah, fair enough. With the, with the two timeouts, it, it, it makes it a debate, you know, because, again, yeah. you, you don't have the opportunity to run it down to, you know, four exactly. seconds and kick that field goal. So, yeah, I, I understand that. 
but it, it was just funny how quickly it all happened. Like, I, yeah. I think, you know, the commentators even noted, like, I don't, I don't know if they wanted to score that. Uh, but, you know, it's a lot easier said than done, you know, to like fall down. At, you know, I, I think maybe ideally you go down like right at the goal line and feel good about pushing it in after making Philly burn another timeout or two. But right. like you said, you don't you don't want to get to that third, even if you're at the one inch line against the Eagles defensive line. You don't want to feel like you have one down to, to push that in there. So I, I, right. I get that. Uh, the bigger takeaway for me, I mean, obviously everybody's going to talk about Jalen Hurts throwing three picks. It was bad. Um, you know, one of them was was I didn't really think on him, but the one at the end was just a brutal, brutal decision by, by Jalen Hurts to even throw that ball. Yep. Philadelphia could not run on this Jets defense. Uh, this no. was an amazing game from start to finish for the Jets defense. DeAndre Swift, 10 carries for 18 yards. We haven't seen him bottled up remotely like that all season. Uh, Philly finished with just 80 yards rushing as a team, and over half of those were Jalen Hurts, uh, who had 47 yards on eight carries. So, I mean, this was this was the first time all year that Philly had really been shut down like that on the ground. They did lose Lane Johnson uh, in this game. Does does sound like he's avoided a long-term injury. I believe it was a high ankle, so could miss some time in the short term, but uh, doesn't look like it's anything that's that's going to be you know compromising uh, as far as what it means for Philly you know over the rest of the regular season. Yeah, um, yeah, and I, it it affected that game. I probably I think it did change the game because Philly got their two touchdowns in the first half, right? Yeah. So I think it's not a coincidence that they struggled after Johnson got hurt. Um, I, I, I think that Hurts had less time, and obviously, like you said, they couldn't run the ball at all. Uh, yeah. Had, a, had thought, a big fumble too before half. Yeah, uh, they were they were, they were yeah. driving again. Like they they had just they had just put their second touchdown on the board, held the Jets to a field goal, were over midfield, and then DeAndre Swift uh, had a big fumble. I, I think if you're Philly, you're you're thinking at least three points before half, and that turned into a field goal for the Jets. Yeah, um, the Jets. Uh, you know, Zach Wilson had a rough day. Uh, to be expected against Philly's defense, only 186 yards, five sacks, but no interceptions. Pretty huge. No exactly. fumbles. Also pretty huge. The, the, the other thing is they got the ball in the hands of their stars. Yep. You know, Garrett Wilson had eight catches for 90, should have had a big gainer, but Alan Lazard had a baffling penalty. Um, Brees Hall got the touchdown, as we saw, but he, has, he had 12 carries and five catches, uh, yep. which you, you like to see. They didn't mess around too much with Dalvin Cook anymore. That's no longer a timeshare. That is a straight-up backup role now. That's all that is. Yeah. And that is, you're now, you're comfortable dropping Dalvin Cook if you haven't already. I mean, he played nine snaps in this yep. game. He is, if anything, I think he's their third back, right? I mean, Michael Carter played 13 snaps yep. uh, and had just as much of a workload. He's he's in there in more passing situations. Uh, so yeah, Dalvin Cook, I mean, I wouldn't call him a bust just because I think there was enough skepticism about what the role would ultimately be, but it's been, it's been pretty much worst case scenario through six weeks and you could go ahead and cut him. Uh, Garrett Wilson, you know, you mentioned it, it was, it was a pretty gross day once again for Zach Wilson, but eight for 90. For Garrett Wilson, you know, should have had that other long one with Lazard on the penalty. He's wide receiver 18 through six games. Uh, and, you know, of course, some teams have had their buys, so there's a little noise there. But I, does this feel like pretty much best case scenario based on how we were talking about him coming out of the Rodgers injury? You know, it was like fire sale. Get rid of Garrett Wilson if you can. And look, he's not going to reach anywhere near the heights that we thought he could. But the fact that he's in the top 20, you know, with six games of Zach Wilson, I, I think is you, got, you have to view that as a win. Like he's still been a double digit scorer just about every week. Yeah, he has. And, you know, better times are coming, too. They have the bye week now. Um, they've had a pretty tough schedule stretch. Yes, now yeah. they get Giants, Chargers, Raiders, Bills. Okay, that's going to be a tough one. Although Bills have some key per, uh, personnel losses. Dolphins, Falcons, Texans, Dolphins again. Uh, point is, there are opportunities here for them, at least offensively. These You're not exactly running up against Murderer's Row. You do have a Cleveland game late in December. That that's going to be a tough one there. But 
And then at the Pats to end the season, that'll probably be ugly weather-wise and maybe ugly all altogether. But um, yeah, if you're Garrett, if you're a Garrett Wilson manager, I think you've done all right so far. Yeah, I, I, again, I think this is just about best case scenario, and it hasn't been pretty. You know, there's been, it's been a lot on Garrett Wilson's shoulders as far as you know bringing in some passes that mm-hmm. uh, are not located where they need to be located, to put it nicely. But yeah. uh, you, you'll take it. Like the, the one thing you can say is the volume has not really dropped off, and that's kind of all you can ask for in this situation. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. Uh, one other afternoon game: uh, the Rams rallied to beat the Cardinals for a half. This was ugly, ugly, ugly football for the Rams, uh, and then. The, from the first play on in the second half, it was a completely different game. They just ran it down the Cardinals' throat. Yep. Cardinals couldn't stop Kyron Williams at all, and the Rams' defense stepped up a little bit too. The Cardinals seem like they're, they're this, that well-coached, feisty team that's just totally undermanned, and they just wear down in the second halves. Yeah, and that's where the talent depth or the talent deficit, I think, comes into play. And they, they got away with it a few times early in the season. I think we're starting to see you know some of the attrition that they've had, and, and just you know again some of the inexperience. Uh, both on the coaching staff and on this roster, uh, but they, they hung around in this game for for longer than I would have expected. You know, the Rams, yep. the Rams got away from the run. Uh, not that they've been a great running team, but they just barely ran the ball at all in the first half, and then came out I think with like eight straight running plays in yep. the second, and, and really established Kyron Williams, who had a huge day, one fifty eight and a score. And that's not to say the passing game wasn't working. Uh, you know, had some bad breaks that kind of go against them in the first half to see some drives end. But Cooper Cup seven for one forty eight and a score. Like he he looks. Like he's fully back at this point. I mean, these last yeah. two weeks have been really convincing. Was not a great afternoon for Puka Nakua, just four for 26, but still had seven targets. Uh, I, I think you'll you'll live with those numbers and kind of play the averages on that going forward. Uh, saw a little bit of Ronnie Rivers, saw a little bit of Zach Evans, but this is this is very clearly Kyron Williams' backfield right now, which is not something I, I thought I would be saying uh, at any point this season. But he's he's been really productive. If you grabbed him early on, that's been a big win. Um, you know, frustrating week for the. Amari DiMarcado versus Keontae Ingram debates. Uh, Ingram ended up winning that one fairly handily, but neither guy did a whole lot. Uh, you know, Ingram 10 for 40. You saw DiMarcado carry it only twice, uh, and it was Ingram that had two receptions as well for 11 yards. So not not a ton of production either way there, but if you had to choose one or the other, hopefully you went with Ingram. Yeah, well, Damian Williams parachuted in and had more carries than DiMarcado, and that was that was always fun. Yeah. Uh, a couple other notes here. Uh, Puka Nakua dropped a touchdown pass on the first drive. <laughs> would have changed his line, would have changed the, the flow of the game. They settled for a field goal on that drive. They, you know, Obviously, they were trailing for most of the first half. Uh, Kyron Williams got hurt at the end of the game, hurt his ankle a little bit. Ronnie Rivers got hurt in this game at the end, hurt his knee. So Zach Evans could be a good pickup this week. Uh, you might see uh, him be the guy that, that le- is your leading ball carrier next week. Yeah, Williams set for an MRI today, so within the next few hours, we should have a little bit more clarity on what his status could end up being for Week 7. Rams are home for the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is going to be a pretty ugly game, I think, in a lot of ways. Although, I I enjoy watching this Rams team, and I I, I did not see that being the case. I thought this would be kind of another ugly transitional year, you know, especially defensively, you have your concerns, but... This defense has stepped up. The, the offense has been uh, you know, really, really fun to watch. The passing game with Matthew Stafford rolling. Uh, they're, they're a somewhat dangerous team to me, and they're, they're absolutely in the mix to make the playoffs uh, you know, in the NFC. Uh, got the Steelers. They got the Cowboys, the Packers, the Seahawks, and the Cardinals again uh, coming up over their next five games. So a few winnable games in that stretch, no question. Yeah, we're going to see a lot of black and gold in that stadium next week. Oh, yes. 
Um, they, they Pittsburgh travels well, and Rams fans are willing to sell. So uh, it's a good combo there. Uh, let's hit up the night game here. Uh, let, let, this uh, all-time instant classic between the uh, Giants and the Bills. It was not the blowout that anybody that everybody was anticipating. Not even remotely close to that. It was still an ugly game, a terrible game. But you know, if you're Buffalo, wins a wins a win. For my survivor purposes, I really would have liked to have seen the Giants hang on to this one. Baffling end of end of half sequences, especially the end of the first half. There, how do you hand the ball off there when you have no timeouts left? Audible to that. Tyrod Taylor played okay until that play, that decision. Yeah, well, I'm glad you were able to see some of this. I, I saw you tweeted that you were going to be able to focus on the ALCS, which uh, you know, ended TVs. up being a. Two yeah, TVs, my that's friend. That's what it's all about, baby. Two TVs is the absolute minimum yes. uh, in the year 2023. I'll tell you that. Uh, yeah, I mean, this was just a horrific performance by the Bills, a game that they probably should have lost. And, you know, that that play at the end of the first half loomed large. Uh, you know, Brian Dable was so upset that he like couldn't even talk about it. I think they came out at halftime and the sideline reporter is like, yeah, I asked him. And he, he was like, respectfully, I just can't. I can't do this right now. Like, he was so upset with Tyrod Taylor. And it's not often that you see a coach just kind of outright blame a player, but I, I kind of empathize with Brian Dable. I believe Brian Dable that he did not say, Hey, check into a run here with no timeouts and like what, seven seconds on the clock. I, I don't know what, I mean, to check into a run in that situation, you have to be obviously a hundred percent sure that you're getting that touchdown. And I mean, it was blown up immediately. Uh, you know, I, I think there was you know, the, the giant sideline was upset that, you know, I think a bills player was kind of holding Saquon Barkley to the ground it, did, it wasn't going to matter. I mean, you weren't going to be able to, to, to get the, the field goal unit out there get a spike off. Uh, really wasn't even close by the time they, they tried to get everybody lined up. And that was, that was big. That was big. That would yeah. have been a, you know, made it a two score game going into the half giants were getting the ball coming out of halftime as well. They ended up not doing anything uh, on that drive, although they, they got into Buffalo territory, ended up, you know, taking a sack and uh, having to punt uh, in the bills territory, but Buffalo credit to them. I mean, nothing really felt like, like they never got into a groove other than Stefan Diggs. He was kind of the only saving grace for this bill's offense, but they put together two back-to-back long touchdown drives kind of shorten this game, which is not typically what you want. If you're the team favored by 14 and a half, like you want as many possessions as you can get. Uh, but you know, the way that this game flow was going, Buffalo just needed to settle down, stop turning the ball over. They had a pick, they had a fumble in the first half. They put together a 17 play 10 minute touchdown drive in the third quarter then put together a 12-play, seven-minute touchdown drive uh, to ultimately go up 14-9. to nine. Uh, But after missing a field goal that would have made it an eight-point game, it got really dicey, and this this came down to two plays at the goal line. Yeah, it really did. Um, and, you know, Giants had a chance at the end. Maybe penalty might have been missed on the Bills, possibly. Um, there too. I, I thought it was a penalty, but I, I like – given the situation, I was okay. You know, and I, I don't like saying that you should call it differently, you know, based on game flow or ga- based on, you know, time of uh, like where you are on the clock. But mm-hmm. I, I felt like it was, it was an okay, no call. There was definitely some grabbing there, but it wasn't that egregious. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, agreed. I, I don't, I don't know. It depends on how the game was being ref the entire game. Right. You know, like to me, if it's been tightly officiated, let's call it, Cleveland, San Francisco, for instance, then you got to call that there, right? If they've been letting them play a little bit, eh, maybe not. This was more on the the closer to the, uh, the the Cleveland, San Francisco standard. Combined sixteen penalties in this game. Um, you know, some key ones like Giants had a sack wiped out because of the whole like body weight thing. Um, I don't know. What do you think? All right, I think I cut out for a second there. So, what okay. was the question? 
Okay, so I was just saying sometimes it's official, you know, how it how a game is being officiated matters a little bit too. Like there were 16 total penalties in this game. Um, it wasn't quite Cleveland San Francisco, but it was, you know, mm-hmm. tight. Um, you know, but Giants had a penalty wiped out on a questionable roughing call, for instance, there. All right, I think Nick's internet is uh being a little shaky for him right now. So uh anywho. I think we'll move on from this game. Uh, quick. Uh, yeah, I don't get the idea. Sorry, say that again. Yeah, I, just, I apologize to the live viewers here. The internet's uh, not been great. Can you hear me now, Jeff? Yes, yes, you're good now. Okay, all right, we're back. Well, what, what I was saying is that there was a penalty on the previous play, too, which, which you know, kind of brought the ball, you know, back to That's the one-yard line for – for that final play. So you wonder if, you know, if it's kind of in the back of the referee's mind, like, all right, we're not giving you that call twice, but it certainly could have been called. Although, I mean, it would have, it wouldn't have really impacted anything at that point. It would have just given Buffalo or given New York uh, another chance from the same yardage spot. Right. So I think it's a little bit different um, there as opposed to, you know, moving the ball up 10 or 15 yards, but either way, you know, felt like a game that the giants let slip away. And, you know, I I think Tyrod Taylor looked okay to me, Uh, uh, you know, 24 or 36 for 200 against the Bills defense. I think you'll take that. Not a great sign when Tyrod Taylor could basically come in off the street and play just as well, if not better, than the guy that you just gave a huge contract to. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that, to me, is a bit concerning. Um, you know, mobility-wise, he's similar to, to Daniel Jones in some ways, so I get that. But, um, I mean, this, this giant season just continues to go off the rails. They're 1-5. and five. They do have the Commanders, Jets, and Raiders coming up, so a chance to maybe build some momentum here. But, um, you know, th- th- this feels like a you know four- to five-win team at best. Yeah, and this was a Tyrod Taylor revenge game. You know, it was this, you know, former team, the Bills. Underrated. People didn't realize that. I didn't factor that into their projections. Sure. Uh, you know, my uh, I, I always, I like watching uh, Jeff Feinberg and uh, Pat Mayo when they do theirs and Tim Anderson when they do their uh, YouTube stream. And Jeff Feinberg always talks about first game for a substitute quarterback is good. And then after that, there's film on them and all that. So I feel like if Tyrod starts next week, it could be ugly. So uh, we'll see about yeah. that. Um, and and anywho, uh, let's talk about tonight's game real quick. You got the Cowboys against the, uh, chargers. Um, chargers were my best bet. I thought they should be a three point favorite in this game. Um, instead they're underdogs or maybe I said they should be a pick them. I forgot what I, what I said. Point is I was strongly opposed and I'm a fool maybe to bet on Mm -hmm. the chargers because they, they, the chargering is usually fierce, but they get Eckler back tonight. I, I just feel like this, there's good vibes set up for the Chargers here. Yeah, we'll see on, on Justin Herbert's finger, right? I mean, it is yeah. his non-throwing hand, so I'm not I'm not super concerned about it. It's more about, you know, some of the smaller limitations. You know, is he comfortable getting under center? You know, it's, it's more so like, all right, if you're getting sacked, can you get the same grip on the ball to avoid a fumble, things like that. Uh, but, but getting Austin Eckler back is huge. I mean, this is a team that could not do anything on the ground without Austin Eckler. And you know, I, I think he's still probably the best at the league, best in the league at turning – nothing into something, you know, and Josh Kelly is kind of the opposite of that. So I, I see the Chargers love. I mean, they're, they're down to one and a half point dogs. I think it was as high as two and a half earlier in the week, but it, this does feel like a kind of an obvious bounce back spot for Dallas. The question is, are, are they good enough to do it? Because, you know, I think we, we could start to question the resume and, you know, the games in which they've looked great this season have come against some of the worst teams in the league, like the giants and the jets and new England Patriots. Yep. And, you know, they, they struggled against Arizona. They look terrible against San Francisco uh, LA coming off of the bye. I think you have a long chance to scheme here. And we also have a coordinator revenge game uh, with yes. Kellen Moore going up against the Cowboys. So I, I, 
I don't like to factor that stuff too much into my evaluation. Like, is that part of it for you? Like Kellen Moore, you know, wants to unleash no. some things against his former team. No. Um, it, yeah, I, 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 I joke about the revenge game. I don't think it's a thing. I don't think it's a real thing that much. Maybe there, there are instances where it could be, but for a coordinator, come on. I know like the Jets celebrated in, on behalf of Hackett against the Broncos, but it's not because of Hackett that they won. Let, let's not kid ourselves on this one here. Yeah. Uh, it's because Russell Wilson has an inexplicable fumble, for instance. I mean, that that that's more. Hackett had nothing to do with yeah. that. Uh, maybe yeah. even taught him how to fumble that. I don't know. It's possible. But um, question from Z Money. Do I start Joshua Palmer or Quentin Johnson? Because Palmer is questionable. I think coming out of the bye, you start Johnston anyhow. Um, I, I, I firmly believe this is the time when these rookies kind of get their sea legs. They come back after the bye. They've installed some packages for them. I think you're going to see Johnston do more than Palmer. Yeah, we saw Palmer outsnap Johnston before the bye, 55 to 32. I do think we we probably see that that gap narrow a bit tonight, like you said, coming out of the bye. Like that's typically when you see a rookie wide receiver have a difference making game. We saw it with JSN yep. yesterday against Cincinnati. Took a big leap. So if it's going to happen for Quentin Johnston, this should be the spot. Uh, I think the Dallas secondary has looked significantly more exploitable since losing. Trayvon Diggs. And for what it's worth on Palmer, I think he's going to play. I mean, the, the latest report is that he's expected to play. Technically still questionable, but I, I do think we see him out there. Mm -hmm. uh, Johnson to me is, is a little bit riskier. I think there's more upside with Quentin Johnston, but I think if you're, you know, if you're kind of trying to protect a lead in a league, I would maybe lean Josh Palmer. All right. There you have it. Um, all right. That covers all the whole slate. There is one other question here in the forum. I'll, I'll throw this to you real quick, Nick, before we sign off. Jimbo Fisher asks, Moss, Zach Moss, and Jalen Waddle for Stephon Diggs in a PPR league. Moss might be losing more touches. Waddle, you know, scores yesterday, and he's in a part of a great offense, but he's the number two. And Diggs is obviously the number one for his team. I think I just want Stephon Diggs at this point. So, I agree. yeah, you're, I think, you know, obviously you don't feel great about parting ways with Moss, but I think his best days are, are pretty clearly behind him, barring an injury to Jonathan Taylor. Uh, we already saw, you know, that's that snap share, you know, basically closed to 50 50 this past week. So, yeah, if you look at it as you're trading a backup running back plus Jalen Waddle for Stephon Diggs, I think that's a pretty good deal. I mean, Diggs has gone, what, four straight weeks now, over 100 yards. He and A.J. Brown are the only receivers in the NFL who can say that. And, um, you know, even these games where Buffalo's offenses look shaky, like he's been the one constant. So, yeah, I say go ahead, make that deal, get Stephon Diggs on your team. I agree. Um, because uh, this might be the last week you can trade Moss as as part of a of, of yes. a significant plus too. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I go ahead and do it now. Yep. Don't yep. wait. Let somebody use them for this their their bye week issues, and you get you get the best player in the deal and dig. So uh, good yep. good good concept there. Good question. All I right. Have one last thing Jeff, yeah, before go we go out, uh, we, we did just get an update on the Rams running back situation from Ian Rappaport. Uh, good news on Kyron Williams, just a, a run-of-the-mill ankle sprain for him. He'll be questionable for Week 7. Sounds like a true 50-50 as of now. Uh, not looking so good for Ronnie Rivers. Grade 3 PCL sprain for Yeesh. him. So that'll knock him out for uh, at least four to five weeks per Ian Rappaport. But good news overall on Kyron Williams. Still could be, you know, could still see like one Zach Evans game. Um, but I, I, no reason to panic if you're a Kyron Williams owner. Right. But if you are desperate for a running back this weekend by Apocalypse, you know, at least we know Evans is your target. So yeah. there you go. Yep. You get some definition there. All right. That will wrap up uh, today's pod. Tomorrow we'll have more injury report news. And of course, means more ability to kind of size up the free agent pool. Jake and Joe will be doing that for you. So uh, make sure to tune in for that. Hit that subscribe button here if you're uh, watching the stream on YouTube. Really appreciate you. That way you get notifications whenever we get ready to launch. And uh, you can check us up uh, on that. And it helps us out as well. So I appreciate you guys listening. 
Uh, good luck in week seven. Take care.